digital transformations are wholly dependent, I'm being controversial now, are wholly dependent on a successful data transformation underneath. You can create a beautiful website or a great app, okay, a great digital experience. But if you don't have the integration, the data and the flow underneath and the automation, your digital transformation is basically just painting lipstick. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Introducing an exclusive new webinar series on advancing AI. It's available only online. It won't be released through the podcast, but you can join live to these webinars. So join us over breakfast from February to April by signing up in the link in the show notes. We will be interviewing leaders in the data and AI space. They will guide you through the hype and maze of technology to achieve the business transformation we all want from AI. Whether you're looking to leverage AI to optimize the customer experience or to improve your business operations, this series underpins the core elements crucial to your company's AI strategy. Featuring guests from around the globe, including people from companies like NAB, Finair, Woodside, etc. Check out the schedule, sign up through the link in the show notes or visit datafuturology.com for more information. I'm super excited to bring you this new series. Hope to see you there. Welcome everyone to another episode of Data Futurology. In this series, we cover the topics that leaders in the data science, analytics, and machine learning space are facing. We want to discuss the challenges and the types of decisions that these leaders are making. And we want to bring to you different perspectives from executives from all around the world. We discuss use cases and we get into the details of what went right, what went wrong, and what is the impact that was created by all these different efforts. Thank you so much for joining. Today, we are going to be speaking about improving outcomes for citizens. It's from the perspective of New South Wales government, the Department of Customer Service. And specifically, we have Simon Herbert, who is the Chief Data Officer for the New South Wales Department of Customer Service. Simon, I'm very excited to have you on the show today. How are you going? Good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, very well. It's a beautiful day again in lovely Sydney. Right. This is great. Thanks so much for coming coming on the show. I've been very excited to speak with you. It's been fascinating to learn about the the advancements that are going on in, in New South Wales government and all the good work that you guys are doing. Uh, so I think it's going to be a fantastic episode. Uh, but to, to kick us off, could you tell us a, a little bit about your um, your journey and how to how you got to where you are today? Well, I think most people can probably tell by my accent. Um, I, I wasn't born in Australia. I was actually born in the UK. Um, I came through the technology route. So I, was, I did a degree in computer science um, and then went into software engineering. Um, I then moved up through uh, the sort of leadership in technology. Um, and then, as you'll see, I decided to change my hat. Um, and I jumped out of technology and moved into management consultancy. Uh, I did nice. that a num for a number of years with IBM and Motorola. And then um, I emigrated to Australia in 2004. Um, here in Australia, really trying to find my feet, uh, I ended up being, getting involved in sort of program management and transformation. So, uh, and specifically in financial services, which I did for a number of years. And then back in 2017, um, I then joined um, the Department of Customer Services, or was then called DFSI, Department of Finance. Um, and uh, I, I came in to just work in the Data Analytics Center. Um, didn't, I, I knew a fair amount of data from a role, a previous role as an IT director in a, in a marketing, data marketing business back in the UK. Um, and over the last four years, I've been working in the New South Wales Data Analytics Centre. Awesome. That is great. Um, and um, I'll ask you about, about the, um, 
the scope and the responsibilities responsibilities of your role in just a second. But uh, before, I should mention that um, we are using the, for everyone in the audience, we are using the Q&A function in Zoom. So if you have any questions uh, that, that you would like us to answer, pop them in there. And for any questions that are there, you can give them a thumbs up, which gives us sort of an, an upvote. And we can see how many people are interested of, about hearing for, about that question. We also have the chat. Uh, so if you have any, any comments or any aha moments, anything that you particularly enjoyed, put them in the chat. And um, finally, we, we usually use the poll functionality. So we have uh, four short questions today that are just all yes and no. I'll launch the poll now to get a pop-up to, to um, answer the poll. Please fill it out and um, we'll come back to the answers of the poll in a few minutes. Uh, so thanks for that. So Simon, could you tell me about the, uh, the scope and the responsibilities uh, that you have as Chief Threat Officer? Okay, so I actually have two roles. Um, Amazing. So um, under the Chief Data Officer, um, I'm responsible for helping the Department of Customer Service implement the New South Wales data reform. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just literally kicked off after, after the, um, in the last kind of four or five months. And sort of in November, it went into one of the, the parliamentary uh, committees and it got approval to, 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 to move forward. Uh, my other role is the Executive Director of Data Insights and Transformation uh, in the Department of Customer Service. And, and I look after three operating units. The first one is the New South Wales Data Analytics Centre. Uh, the second one is the New South Wales Behavioural Insights Unit. And then the third one is the DCS, Department of Customer Service Transformation Unit. Uh, and so I have quite a broad role um, uh, uh, alongside my chief data officer role as well. Yes. Um, no, no, please, please keep going. That is, that no, no, no. I think that's quite enough. enough. I think that's yeah. quite enough. Um, that is fantastic. Um, no, thank you. Thank you so much. And and um, so you you first mentioned into you first mentioned the New South Wales data reforms. Could you could you tell us a bit more about about them? Yes. I mean, what happened was after COVID nineteen. Um, there were a number of things that we did as part of the data response, which um, kind of woke everybody up to the value of data within New South Wales government, a lot more than it had been in the past. Mm. Um, and so we, we, we um, started to put together how we were going to structure um, this kind of uh, improving the way that government uses, uses, uses data uh, for, to deliver better outcomes for our citizens. Mm-hmm. And really, um, the, the reform came down into three key areas. The first was taking some of the really good practices that we'd done in COVID and making them part of the business as usual. Uh, the second one was to develop uh, a New South Wales government data strategy. We had data strategies in all of our clusters. So there are mm-hmm. 10 clusters in New South Wales government. Um, but they were all going in different directions. So the whole idea was to harmonize those. Uh, we have a draft that is hopefully going to get approval by the Secretary's Board in late April, and then it will go up to Cabinet um, uh, in uh, late May. Um, the, third, the third phase was around the Data Sharing Act. So when the Data Analytics Centre came into being back in 2015, um, the father of the DAC is a guy called Dr. Ian Opperman, and I'm quite sure a few people on this call know, know Ian. Um, we had a corresponding um, uh, act uh, put into the through Parliament around data sharing. Um, that, that, that act has been okay, but it hasn't really achieved everything we wanted to getting data to flow around government um, to help get those citizen uh, outcomes. And so we've been doing a, what we call a statutory review. But most acts get reviewed every five years. And a number of recommendations will be being put forward to cabinet for them to consider. And so we have, we hope um, that there will be some changes to the way that that works um, to help us um, actually get that that data flowing and getting those insights, which then we can turn into action and and improve our service delivery. That is great. That is great. And and, uh, yeah, I love the the focus on on improving uh, citizen outcomes um, what what are some of the some of the outcomes uh, that that you've been focusing on? Anything that you can share with us? 
Okay. Uh, I think, well, the last 12 months that Data Analytics Center has been very, very focused on COVID-19 and the data response. Mm. So on the 26th of March, 20, um, 2020, um, the decision was made by the Secretary's Board and by Cabinet that the DAC become that central coordinating um, uh, unit for the data response to COVID. Now, mm. obviously, COVID-19, the response is led by New South Wales Health, and, 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 and as, as it should be. But we were then going to support them to do that. And really, the data response broke down into three areas. There was, how are we going to manage the infection risk? Mm-hmm. What is going to be the social impact of COVID-19? And then the third one was, how are we going to economically recover from COVID-19? Mm-hmm. So these three work streams, and in actual fact, um, these works, two of these work streams, well, they're all still ongoing, to be honest. But obviously, the level of activity has dropped um, as we're now moving more into the, the vaccination time within the, the infection risk. The social impacts have actually turned out to be what we call lag indicators. So, you know, um, whilst there was the event of COVID uh, and the lockdowns here in New South Wales, the actual impact of that in a social level could actually go on for some time. In actual fact, there are some studies in Europe which mean it could go up to at least two years. Economic recovery, obviously you've seen a number of the stimuluses. We help uh, collate that data. And at the moment, we're very focused on JobKeeper finishing and yes. what is that impact on the, the small to medium-sized businesses? And so we are looking um, at how much uh, financial stress those those particular businesses are under and, and seeing what we can do to help them out. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've definitely seen um, uh, great initiatives like the um, like the vouchers as well, the, the dining and entertainment vouchers. They're a great initiative. Yeah, so uh, uh, that's obviously run by our partner organisation, Service New South Wales, which is part of the Department of Customer Service. Um, what we do is we've been taking that data, okay, and I would like to note that it is de-identified, okay, mm-hmm. so we're not passing personal information around government just as we feel like. But the, the Privacy Commissioner would not be happy. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so we de-identify that. It's held securely on our uh, advanced analytics service. And we've been analyzing how many people have actually been applying for the vouchers, how many people have been redeeming those vouchers, and then how much, when they redeem, the cost of the voucher versus actually how much they spent, because the whole idea is to get the economy going. So um, I don't think I can give this, at the moment, uh, when they redeem a voucher, they're normally spending another... $18, $19 on top of the original voucher. So that's great. That's just money flowing around through the economy. And I think that's extremely useful. Yeah, super, super useful. Uh, That was, that's fantastic. And um, interesting, uh, well, I I was really interested to hear about the the three areas of the the COVID response, about the the infection risk, uh, the social impact and the the economic recovery. Um, And you definitely said that the, the social impact seems to be a lagging indicator. Uh, what what can you tell us? What more could you tell us about the the infection risk side? And what was the the work that happened yeah. there early on? So so um, you know, the, the the start of COVID was just a blur. Uh, we all worked seven days a week, twelve to fourteen hours a day, and the most important thing was to actually build trust with our citizens. Mm. So we needed to get information in the hands of the citizens, and so um, our, our premier basically um, launched what we call the COVID heat map, which can be found on newsouthwales.gov.au. And that actually showed the number of cases that are occurring at a postcode level across the state. Mm. Um, at first, we just did you know, the infection cases. Then we did testing. Uh, and, and we hope, um, depending on whether or not the federal government who are controlling the vaccinations will share the data, we would like to add the vaccinations into that. So you can look at your postcode, you kind of understand what's going on with COVID. So you know how many infections are occurring in your postcode, you understand how many, um, uh, t- how much testing's being done, and we hope to, at some point, um, uh, report that vaccinations as well. That is great. Well, I, I know that, at least from my side, I was using that website and looking up the information around the, the infections and the testing, like, 
multiple times a week uh, checking yeah. on, on how it was going and it was it was a uh, yeah really comforting to be able to access that amount of detail uh, so quickly and so so readily so it was it was very comforting from that side we've been trying to be as transparent as possible that's one of the great things about data is that you, you know we have the open data portal data.newsouthwales and we were publishing that data onto that open portal at the same time. People were then taking that data, you know, citizen um, data scientists, as I like to call them. And they were creating apps and all kinds of things. It was, it was, it was excellent. Um, and, but we, at the same time, because of privacy, we deployed a thing called the Privacy Information uh, Factor, the PIF tool, um, which was actually created by uh, Dr. Ian Opperman. And this uh, is a mathematical um, tool that basically looks at a, a any data set and works out the level of risk around re-identification. Wow. So we worked very, very carefully to make sure that the open data we were supplying was not going to allow uh, re-identification. Uh, and that actually seems to have been pretty effective. That's incredible. Um, that definitely would... Um... Uh, appease a lot of a lot of or concerns that some people might have, but having that high bar um, of of um, rigor testing rigor before sharing the data, uh, it's it's outstanding. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. that's that's really good. Um, and um, I know I know that um, obviously the the a lot of the the recent focus has been on on the on the COVID response. Um, and it's been a, an amazing piece of work so far. Uh, but are there are there any other um, citizen outcomes or or use cases that that you could share with us? Um, they've been uh, the DAC's been going since two thousand and fifteen. Uh-huh. I think we're we're just we've just broken through a hundred projects that we've delivered across across the sector or the state. Wow. Um, so yeah, we've got a few to choose from. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll try and pick a, a couple that actually make sense. I think one that people would understand is around the compulsory third party. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you remember, but uh, probably two years ago now, the compulsory third party costs went down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was uh, due to SERA, uh, uh, the State Insurance Regulatory Authority. Um, but the DAC was supporting SERA in how they were looking at um, the data that was coming in from the insurers, um, both uh, the uh, actual claims uh, and the contracts, uh, all the policies, uh, and becoming a lot more um, efficient and productive around how we looked at those and giving the information into the decision makers to understand how the scheme, the CTP scheme was working. And so that actually led to us being able to reduce the price. Mm. And we're actually taking that data from the insurers in near real time now. Um, and, you know, they are, you know, through the use of APIs, et cetera, that data is flowing in, it's being processed, okay, and then it's landing onto the advanced analytics service, and we're running a number of, uh, of um, analytical uh, models across that, that data. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd like to say that the DAC was a little bit involved in uh, and helping uh, reduce the costs of insuring, insuring your car here uh, or your motorbike here in um, New South Wales. Yeah, definitely. That's that's uh, that's impressive to be able to uh, increase the understanding of of what is actually happening and the risk uh, to to and to find out the the amount of exposure that there is and and the amount of funds that is required to support that. Um, and yeah, then it obviously becoming a lot more accurate over time. That is um, that is fantastic progress. Yeah, no, and you know, um, Syria is continuing um, uh, uh, to develop their models. And uh, with uh, our minister, Minister Dominello, if anybody's on LinkedIn, you can't really miss the minister. He posts quite regularly. Um, uh, the, the minister is still you know, always actively encouraging. Where can we get some more productivity? How can we hand the, give the benefits back to the citizens? How can we make this easier? Um, it, it's very useful to have such a, an enthusiastic minister uh, looking after our portfolio. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Um, and tell me, how how big is the the data analytics center that the that the New South Wales government has? Uh, okay, so uh, in number of people, it's uh, around about 50 people. Nice. Uh, we're divided into three key groups. 
there are the data science group. So that's the analysts and the data scientists. Um, and I should note, I am not a data scientist. Okay. Um, I definitely came from, I, I like to call myself the plumber. I'm a guy who puts the pipes together uh, with the data. Extremely important piece. Yeah. And that's right. We like to say that, you know, the analysts get all the glory when they create the insights, but natural fact, the engineers are the ones who do all that, the munging. So we call it the 80 20 rule. You know, the yeah. analysts, they walk off and they go, ah, you know, look at the insights I've delivered. And the engineers that say, yeah, but I got you the data and I got it in a format that allows you to do the analysis. We have That's some right. people who do both, but yeah, I don't want to create any rivalry. That's not going to be. <laughs> um, so we have the data science team. Uh, we then have the data services team. They basically are, they have the data engineering and they also have the service management team that look after all of the products we deliver. I've talked about the advanced analytics services being one of those. And then the fi final team is the data.new South Wales team. Mm -hmm. They are basically responsible for our open data portal, but they also look after all the policy and the strategies. So the strategy was coordinated out of that group. Um, and they also have the data governance. Uh, it's very important that you have data governance outside of data science or data services. You know, yeah. There is a Chinese wall to make sure that a steward can actually go up and say, no, 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 you're not allowed. You can't do that. You know, you know, the privacy impact assessment's not occurred that we cannot release. You know, mm -hmm. That's really important to have those kind of, um, those kind of controls in place. Yes. Yeah, no, definitely is the is the checks and balances that uh, you know as 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 recipients of the value, it's things that we that as a citizen, it's things that we want to um, we want to hear that are working and uh, that are in place and working. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I suppose the other side is the technology. Uh, yeah. So we are one hundred percent in the cloud. Nice. Uh, we use the three key commercial clouds, AWS. Azure and GCP. Mm -hmm. And that's because each of the clouds have their strengths and their weaknesses. Yeah. And so for processing of certain things, certain clouds are, are stronger. Um, we run in a, we've spent a long time developing our agile culture. So mm -hmm. we very much believe in agility, that whole idea of um, servant leader. So believe it or not, I work for the team, not they work for me. Nice. I think it's really important to do those things. Um, and we have, you know, when we create teams with with our um, with our customers, uh, we very much, you know, we want them to engage fully with their business leads and making sure they have their product owners there. Mm -hmm. And we're doing showcases and all the good things we have as part of the agile process, which I don't need to tell anybody. Most people would be very familiar with that. But I Bye. think that agile and analytics go really well together. Right. Yes. And I would have. Um... I would have guessed that that it's something that you guys have focused on because um, if if the the center has been running for about five years or maybe just over just over five years coming up to six and and you guys have you know delivered a hundred projects um, that that shows you know that rate um, <laughs> that rate of delivery shows that that you know things that the work is is flowing quickly. It's being done in an, in an agile way. It's well managed, and uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of projects in the pipeline as well. So to to be having a rate of essentially 20, 20 you know, releases a, a year on different projects and different products is is a high bar. Well, I, okay. So the record, and we don't, we're not saying this is the bar anymore because it was extraordinary times. We had the first version of the heat map out within three weeks. Wow. <laughs> So we built it, we, we sourced the data, cleaned the data, built, built the visual, embedded the visual into the website, and we do all that in three weeks. I, I wouldn't recommend the, the, the work level that we did to do that, but at the time it was really important to get there, so we did. Yeah, definitely. And, and for, the, for the citizens, it was very comforting to have that information at fingertips. So yeah. the, it, was, it was definitely worthwhile the worth the effort and the pain <laughs> during those three weeks uh, to yeah. get it out so quickly. Uh, it, was, it was very comforting to be able to access that at, uh, at, at any point in time on demand. Um, I wanted, also wanted to ask you about the, the behavioral insights piece. Uh, so you mentioned that that was one of the one of your areas. Um, yep. what, what could you tell us about that side? 
So it, it, behavioral insights, um, I, I think sometimes gets a, a bit of a bad reputation. Um, a lot of negative people think about behavioral insights is a way that government uses to nudge citizens to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a really poor, poor view. Uh, I would suggest that what behavioral insights does is actually improves outcomes by understanding people better mm-hmm. and their behavior. And I'll give you an example. Um, one of the problems the state has uh, over the last couple of years was that um, we couldn't get enough rural teachers. And there was a, a significant problem. And we worked with the Department of Education on this. And one of the behavioral uh, insight specialists went in and, and looked at the process of recruiting and placement and everything else regarding rural teachers. They found that there was inside one system, there was a drop down which automatically defaulted to Sydney. Ah. So what they did, okay, was they basically changed that default. And believe it or not, we had a significant uptake of rural teachers on a temporary basis uh, going out. And that's what Behavioral Insights is all about. It's about they have such a deep understanding of, of, of behavior and the way that they do their, 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 their testing first, you know, their control groups, and then their rollouts. They, it's very scientific, and they can make a significant impact on a number of outcomes throughout the state. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and um, no, I, I, I definitely um, have heard the, the difficulties of, of filling in positions for, for teachers in rural areas, and, and obviously, um, you know, they're, they're, there's kids wanting to wanting to learn. So it's it's fantastic to to hear and to see that the the government is is implementing um, good right. processes to improve that. Sorry, I'll give you another example. Uh, yeah. So when you go for a COVID test, okay, we were noticing that some people were having a COVID test and then they weren't isolating. Mm-hmm. So the behavioural insights unit and their specialists went and watched the process in a number of uh, areas. And they made a number of key, very important changes um, to the way that when somebody has a test, how they actually, that interaction between the individual who's being tested and, and, and the New South Wales health uh, person. And just uh, getting to a point where once they had their test, okay, uh, the, the, the person would lean in and say, okay, um, here's your postcard with the, your details about how to find your result. So what are you going to do now? Mm. And by asking the question, okay, they go, uh, I'm going to go home and I'm going to isolate for 48 hours. And if they don't say that, then the whole way that the, that the script was developed was, so you're going to go home now and you're going to isolate until you get your result. Yes? Yes. Okay. Um, thank you very much. And these these ways, are, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, that's just common sense." But it's to be honest, common sense is sometimes not that common. That's right. That's right. And uh, I love that you're finding that in in the data and and in creating the improvements uh, in the in and in this case, you know, to make us all safer. Uh, that is that is awesome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, well, it's no, the team. It's not me. It's it's the team. Oh, of course, but I love I love the focus in in this area. That's um that's that's great. And and uh, yeah, applications that I didn't know um that that um you know that the government was focusing on, which is fantastic. Um, the the other the other area that you mentioned was around uh, transformation. So the the transformation of the of the department uh, around a, a couple a couple of different uh, avenues. Uh, could you share a little bit about about uh, what that is and and um, and how it's going? Yeah. Uh, so the, so um, the idea is the Department of Customer Services is going to become the most customer centric you know department 
in, you know, in New South Wales and in Australia. Service New South Wales, as we know, have a fantastic customer culture. Mm. But that's a fact. The Department of Customer Services is made up, nearly 50% of it is made up of uh, very different areas. Uh, one of those um, is the births, deaths and marriages uh, registry. And you know, this is a very important registry for anybody who you know, is born in New South Wales uh, and lives in New South Wales. And so um, the, uh, the team in the transformation unit did a lot of work about how they could improve that customer experience. So as you know, everybody hates waiting in queues at counters. Okay? Mm-hmm. So one of the things they launched was the, what they called the click and collect. Yeah. So basically, you know, I'd like a copy of my you know, birth certificate. Okay, um, please. Yeah. The other thing was that they actually moved, instead of us only having two or three very specialized counters to go and do that first estimate uh, marriages, instead now that's now been moved into Service New South Wales uh, contact centers. So guess what? That means you can go a number of places. And now they all have the, the uh, click and collect, um, or some of them have the click and collect booths, uh, which allow you to just go in, collect stuff, and thanks very much. So these are just two examples of how the transformation unit has basically taken that real customer centricity view about how can we make this easier for the customer, put the customer in the center and make all of the services rotate around that Mm. rather than, okay, here are 10 different departments and you need to understand how you, and what are the problems here for anybody in Australia is, do I talk to the local council? Do I talk to the state department? Or do I talk to the federal <laughs> department? And we need to make, we need to ensure that that, we need to make it easier for the citizens going forward. And it's one of our premier's you know, priorities was, you know, make government easy. And that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. Oh, and I, I at least from, from a, you know, from a citizen and a customer perspective, I can tell you that it, it's, it's impressive. Um, so I, I moved to New South Wales just over a year ago, um, and obviously we had to, you know, for example, move move our, our licenses. So we moved from Victoria, and we had to renew here. Uh, we had to change the license plates and go to Service New South Wales, and it was something that I personally was, without having any information about how quick the process was going to be, I assumed it was going to be very slow, and I was dreading the visit. And uh, when when I had to do it, I was pleasantly surprised at at the the speed and the service. And um, and uh, here I live in, in Newcastle, and I, I work in, in healthcare. And I started a data science team here. And most people um, have have moved from interstate or or from overseas to come and work with us. And um, I can tell you, everyone has been impressed with with service New South Wales on how easy and how quick uh, the visits have been and how helpful the, the people have been there. And so it really shows the, the work that you guys have been doing in, in the background. Thank you. Uh, service are an amazing organization and Damon Reese, the CEO is, it, 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 uh, is very focused and the minister has always been very like, what is it going to make it easier for, 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 for the, our citizens and our customers? Amazing. And so, so to, to enable a lot of this, these improvements, uh, there's, there's, a, there's some, some large pieces of work that are going on in the background. Um, one of them, and we put, we put one of these in the, in the poll questions. The first question was, were you aware of the New South Wales government data response to COVID-19? So just over the majority had said no, that they weren't aware before this. So it was great uh, to get that out there. Any, any thoughts or, or comments on that, Simon? I think anybody who works in data knows that you're you're part of the back room. You know, the service delivery is by by somebody on a, in a contact center, somebody on a telephone, or maybe in a digital chat. Um, the insights and the way that that interaction occurs um, normally is assisted by data. Mm-hmm. And I think we, you know, I've always, and I, to be honest, I, I quite like the fact that. We're, we're part of the back room. That's what we do. We're a support. We basically help those frontline services deliver a better service to customers. And so I'm not unhappy that half people hadn't heard around the data response. I think that's really good mm. um, because really it wasn't about the data response itself. It was actually about how New South Wales responded to COVID. 
yeah, and definitely uh, creating that that security and comfort in uh, in in the citizens' minds um, during during a really troubling time. And yeah. I thought that that's something you guys did particularly well. Yeah. Um, the, um, the, oh, yeah, sorry, go. Well, I was just going to go to number two, the, the deep learning. Yes, uh, we do use deep learning. Um, obviously, there is quite a lot of concern by people around the ethics of AI. Um, and, and so you need to be very careful how, how you use that, both mm. internally from a concern of citizens, but also internally from, from employees feeling that they, they may lose their jobs because they're going to be replaced by, by a deep learning algorithm. And so, you know, the application of deep learning um, definitely can give some significant benefits, and I can talk about a particular outcome we did. But you do need to make sure that, that, that everybody understands the benefits. You haven't put any bias in and all the other things. Yeah. We need to be very careful around deep learning. Great, great. Uh, so, let, yeah, let's, let's dive in. Can you tell us about... Um, some some of the applications or how you guys are using uh, deep learning models in in New South Wales government. Yeah, I, I think um, I think uh, I would. I, the Data Analytics Centre would not say that we are a deep learning expert. We mm. have done a number of pilots with a number of different areas uh, around uh, around the, the sector. But the one that I can talk about is that we were approached by New South Wales procurement. And they said that they're, you know, um, New South Wales procures a significant amount of, uh, significant amount of services, um, and especially IT services. And inside the IT services um, within the general ledger was the category of other. And New South Wales procurement were always struggling to be able to categorize this particular area. What we did was basically, um, there was, a, I think it was a million rule rule engine that was trying to categorize all these things you know, wow. by company or by description. What we did all, was- All created by hand, right? Those million yeah, rules beforehand. Over, over many years. Um, so what we did, we thought this was a great candidate for implementing deep learning. And so we did two sets of training uh, and then run it across the whole base. And mm. what happened was we then started doing some comparisons or or New South Wales procurement were doing comparisons, and they actually found that, that, that the, the deep learning algorithm was actually ending up giving a better classification than the rule engine and the human kind of view. So um, that was an example of how deep learning can really uh, add to the productivity of, of, of New South Wales government, which again links back to our premier's priority of um, being a world-class public service. You know, we're meant to be, you know, you, you pay your taxes and we should be looking after that very carefully indeed and being as productive as possible. Yeah, yeah, no, that is a, a very well-picked application and that's, that's definitely a, a problem that, um, that is quite common across industries. Uh, as I mentioned before, I work in healthcare and when we look at, um, you know, expenses and, and whether the, the costs are being paid out, the, the other bucket is always, you know, quite high, generally in the top three or top five. Um, so being able to look into that and, and be able to properly classify is a huge benefit. Um, so, yeah, well, well done. And um, sorry, any, any other comments on that side? No, but um, we know that the use of deep learning is going to increase. Um, and, and the thing is to make sure that you have a really, you, you, you have a really good use case. Um, everybody understands the benefits. Um, you make sure that, that, that you've got a good stakeholder engagement around that rather than somebody goes, oh, hey, come on, let's, go, let's just go do some deep learning. Um, yeah. you, you need to take the time to make sure that everybody is comfortable with it, both uh, with our customers externally, with our citizens, and internally with our New South Wales employees. That is great because there's definitely a, a risk of... of people um, sometimes by by wanting to use kind of like the shiny new toy uh, sometimes we want to jump straight into into that but what I really liked about uh, one of your comments before that you said you said we're not a, a deep learning center that what what that says to me is like there are many analytical tools and the the spectrum is very very broad 
And all of these tools are helpful, are useful, and we can put them to use uh, to the right application. And it's a, it's a matter that you guys are, are choosing and are selectively about when to apply what for the right problem. So that, that, is, that is a fantastic approach. Yeah. No, no, it, 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 we would like to do more. I will be honest. We would like yeah. to do more. No, fantastic. Um, and question question three was about digital transformations and data transformations. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about, about each of those and, and how, how you think about them and how you've been approaching them? I, I think digital transformation um, is uh, the buzzword at the moment, especially with COVID forced a lot of businesses, they had to open the digital channel Mm. where they might have been quite traditional and they didn't want to. Um, I think that you need to be very careful with digital transformation because there is a, a cohort within, especially when we think about the 8 million citizens in New South Wales, there's a cohort that do not want to use digital. Um, mm. They want to use the counter or they want to use the telephone. So the whole omni-channel must be considered. Um, and I think sometimes... We get so carried away with, oh, we can reduce the cost of service if we, if we, if we implement, you know, we can push everybody to the digital channel. And I think you need to be a little bit careful about that. My second point is really to do with this question is digital transformations are wholly dependent, and I'm being controversial now, are wholly dependent on a successful data transformation underneath. You can create a beautiful website or a great app, okay, a great digital experience. But if you don't have the integration, the data, and the flow underneath and the automation, your digital transformation is basically just painting lipstick. That's right. You know where I'm coming yeah. from. Yeah. yeah. No, that is that is fantastic. And and um, such such the right perspective because you need to you need kind of like the the brains behind the new. <laughs> the new shiny interface. Um, so the, the, the digital side needs the the brains that are provided through the through the data flows and the, and the data processing behind it. Um, how how has your journey been on on both of those sides? I'm not sure I really understand the question. Can you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, in terms of the, uh, I guess what what can you tell us about the the data transformation? Um, what what you've um, what you included as part of that or any any parts of the journey that you can share? Okay, uh, data transformation is really difficult. Um, what normally happens, okay, is you will have a number of transactional systems that have uh, data stores that have been locked inside those applications for a very long time. Getting that data out is really difficult. And then if you need to update or synchronize that data, then the, the difficulty really starts to become. Yeah. So the problem is what you have is proliferation of copies of data. Mm. I, I remember a certain organization, I won't mention their name, they had three global master customer data sets. <laughs> and basically they built one 10 years ago and they built one seven years ago and they built one three years ago. And because of the integration on each of those, they were unable to sunset those. And so your tech debt is just going up and up and up. So data integration, synchronization of data, unlocking the application silos are three really difficult challenges within a data transformation, in my opinion. That's, that's not even going into getting the data onto the lake, the linkages, and getting a, your data warehouse to effectively support your decision-making. Mm. Just talking about that actual first part, getting the data anywhere near anywhere your your lake or your warehouse. Huge, yeah. It's such it's such a crucial uh, crucial part. What what type of advice? What advice would you have for for people who are wanting to um, wanting to guide their organizations to better understand the challenges of the data transformation behind the digital transformation? So the problem, again, with data transformations is that they are under the bonnet. Mm. Okay? The digital transformation, if you like, is the really nice um, you know, spray job on the, new, on the car, okay? But that's the fact that the data transformation is the actual rebuilding of the engine. And so 
The problem is that a lot of uh, organizations are can be quite short-sighted in the fact that they only look at, I, I need the, the new-looking car to attract the customer, mm. okay? without actually knowing that with if the engine doesn't work, your customer satisfaction and everything's going to be really impacted. Yeah. And so I, I think that uh, data professionals need to really team up with digital professionals really well. Um, and both both parties need to really doff the hat to the other, which is I understand you know, digital professional that you are going to take the data that I've produced or the insights I'm producing and you're going to create that experience for the customer. Okay. But vice versa, you know, digital, you know, digital professional, please give the respect to the data professional who's actually going to make that data and those insights available to you. You know, uh, you know, next best actions or all things like that. It, it has to be uh, now in the startup world and in the data companies, they don't see it as data and digital. It's very much a merge situation. Mm. Um, but in larger organizations, you know, in the corporates and in governments, we definitely have that two different different areas. And so therefore it's that integration and how those two work together is really key. Fantastic. That is that is great. Um yeah, really, really helpful perspectives there um, to to raise a profile of what's happening under under the bonnet, as you said. It's um, it's important to to discuss and for people to be aware of the the challenges and the importance. Uh, so it's great. The the last question that we had in the poll was um, whether people have heard of the New South Wales Government Data Analytics Centre. Um, so I guess good good to hear that people are getting. Um, becoming more informed about the, the, that the center exists and the type of work that, that is being done in the, in the center. Um, any, other, any other thoughts to share? Yeah. Uh, so the New South Wales Data Analytics Center is the grandfather uh, of DACs in, in Australia. There are now DACs in uh, Victoria, in South Australia and Queensland. Tasmania are, are starting to build up theirs. Northern Territories and uh, Western Australia are all uh, about, they're all on their journey. Um, and so having that centralised data analytics capability inside a, a government um, brings a lot of really key advantages. And I think that was quite eloquently shown by COVID. Um, without that centralised kind of um, uh, centralised uh, area, you, you would you would really struggle uh, capability. You would really struggle to be able to bring co- coordinate it and bring the data together quickly and effectively to help our citizens. So yeah, um, for me personally, I'm quite happy that not many people know about the DAC. That's okay. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep doing the good things for on behalf of our citizens. Yeah, that is fantastic. No, thank you. I was wondering um, with with the the amount of um, diverse work that that you guys are are tackling. Are there are there any other um, different areas where you would have applied um, the the analytics that you could share with us? Any other types of of use cases that might be different to, to the ones we've uh, discussed? Okay, so I'll give you a bit of a preview. I think the minister yeah. will be publishing on LinkedIn about this very shortly. Um, working with our partner T Corp, uh, so that's the Treasury Corporation. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, uh, their chief economist came up with a really good idea. Um, so the ABS, the federal, uh, that does a lot of the uh, economic measurement, et cetera, releases its results every three months. Um, COVID basically told us that we need to be far more responsive than every three months. So um, he put up that there were some possible lead indicators in the activity that occurs across the state which we could actually correlate to the economic activity of, of, of New South Wales. And so it's officially called the State Final Demand, SFD. Um, and what we did was, uh, um, on the suggestion of TCorp, we took that State Final Demand and then we reached out to our, our partners in Transport New South Wales and we got hold of all the heavy freight Info uh, data. So this is all the heavy freight moving around the state. And what we did was we then worked out which roads correlated 
using correlation graph, which roads correlated as closely to the SFD as we can. Now, we've been running this now for a little while. Uh, we get uh, basically near real-time updates of the SFD, but we, uh, sorry, of uh, the data on the heavy freight through a system called SCAT. But what we can now do is we can actually take that heavy freight index, okay, and we can start to predict the economic health of the state. And it's only one indicator. Um, and the chief economist believes we should include four or five others, but we haven't had time to build those yet. But we can now, with a reasonable variance, okay, it's not it, uh, between five and 10%, we can actually predict the SFD using uh, the heavy freight index. What? Um, so what that allows us to do is on a monthly basis, we can actually track the economic, because of the correlation, we know that the correlation has been reasonably good. We can actually track the, 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 a lead indicator to the New South Wales economy rather than waiting for the federal quarterly update. I would like to say we didn't come up with this idea. Um, in actual fact, the news, uh, our friends across the pond in New Zealand actually came up with it. Called, they called it Truckometer. Mm -hmm. um, but we've taken it and we've, we've been able to, to make it work for us. But it's, um, yeah, there's, there's, it's still in pilot stage, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely delivering some uh, interesting results. Man, that is incredible. And I, I love the, the breadth of the work um, that is available, um, the breadth of the data analytics work that is available uh, through for people through the government and the, the positive impacts that you guys are having across so many areas of our lives. Um, because, for example, this this um, it, this example that you just mentioned about predicting the um, the state final demand, that that is equivalent to what the uh, venture capitalists are doing where they get uh, satellite images of the car parks. This is obviously just pre-COVID, but they get satellite images of car parks of um, shopping centers to try and estimate the, the retail demand. And, um, and, and you know, some, some people think, oh, that they have to go into like high finance or, you know, venture capitalists to, to have uh, interesting problems at that, at that scale. Uh, but it, the the other side of the coin is that you know in government you can you can apply you can have similar technical uh, similar technical challenges but with a much nicer application in terms of improving citizen outcome. Yeah, we're, we're not venture capitalists at all. Um, I, I think it was really brought to home to me by um, we had a, a commercial data scientist um, come and work with us for a little while and. Most data scientists work in the areas of risk or marketing. It's kind of, those are the kind of key areas. That, mm. and, and this lady, after about three days, came up to me and she said, I can't believe the data you've got. She just said, I can't believe what you've got. And no. I went, yeah, we know we've got some good data. <laughs> and she just said, do you know what you could do with this? And we went, yeah, we do. It's just a matter of time. You know, we, we can, we can make, we can, you know, if we can get three or four more of those lead indicators going, mm. that allows us to really inform, um, you know, the, the senior public servants and, and and the political layer, the ministers and cabinet, and that gives them they can then think about you know how they they can uh, continue to you know help the economy to recover from you know as we are at the moment from COVID or any other situation. Um, so yeah, no, um, it, we've got some good data. Yeah, yeah, very uh, great data, great challenges, uh, fantastic applications. And, and we, we had a, a question um, from somebody saying that, you know, they're super impressed with, with the, all the work that is happening um, and in the analytics space in New South Wales government. And the question was um, about getting a job. And there was, um, do I have to have permanent residency status to work in the New South Wales government data center? Um, uh, and if not, then how do I get a job there? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, um, I believe, and I'd have to check this with HR, but I think you need to be a permanent resident or a citizen to work in New South Wales Data Analytics Centre. You will also need to have had police checks and working with children and a number of other. We, we, we have to make sure um, because of the kind of data that we hold. Yeah. You know, the five safes, you know, one of them is about safe people. Um, 
but um, I, I do hope you get your permanent residency and, and then very happy for um, we there's a website called I work for New South Wales um, and in fact I'm recruiting for a director at the moment so um, please check it out if you want so I work for New South Wales did you say yeah. it was a website great 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 one to um, to check and and, um, and if the person is is from from overseas I can tell you uh, when when I came to Australia uh, well I came from South America from Chile um, and it took me a long time to get PR and then citizenship and um, the way that I found really helpful was with working with small to medium businesses um, because you're able to uh, hopefully provide a lot of value and then they're they're happy to sponsor you and then you get to stay in the country so apply the analytics um, that you're learning on to help small to medium businesses and uh, and then and then you're in and you can come and work for the for the government so that's that's great um, I think I think um, we may have quite a time for for one more question, looking at the time, I can't believe it's, it's gone by so quickly. So there's two questions. So tell me, tell me which one you would you would prefer. There's there's one around um, data systems and data warehousing and and essentially what you use or how do you consolidate all the all the data. Um, and the other one is around uh, path to production. So taking taking models or or analyses. Uh, to production, so they're they're available for for the non-technical users to interact with them. Do you have a preference on on either of those? Okay, they're both difficult questions. Yeah, questions. Um, I'll try and answer both really quickly. Amazing. Um, on um, integrating the data to the data warehouse, etc., we we have a very formalized uh, approach using data stewards. They interact with the custodian. We get the data. So we can we can receive data in many different ways. And one of the things about the Data Analytics Center is we need to be able to support that. So if it needs to come by API, you know, uh, secure file transfer protocol, direct connection, there are many different ways of doing it. Um, but then the, the most important thing is that that uh, privacy impact, uh, privacy review. Let's look at the data. Let's see if there's anything on there that shouldn't be. Um, and, and then obviously profile the data. The first thing you've got to do with data is profile it. Check you, know, you haven't got some really spurious data before it gets get, gets fed on. Um, that would be my on that side. Um, on operationalization, yes. Okay. So this, um, I, I think, this is the area that is probably the move to inserting automated operational insights. Um, you know, using various different models, deep learning, machine learning, et cetera, okay, is, is probably a key area of focus for New South Wales government in the next couple of years. We, we are doing this on a, we're doing this on a, maybe a weekly or monthly or whatever basis. Now that as you know, our minister has a, a real um, interest and uh, in moving as close as we can to, to real time. The thing is that the level of investment required to insert some of these things in at a, an automated operational real-time basis uh, is quite is very expensive, yes. and as public servants, we have to always consider that that, that 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 investment and the return on that investment. Amazing, and it's it's definitely a a huge uh, undertaking and a and a challenge that um, organisations. In every industry are facing right now about uh, productionizing, um, scaling uh, AI uh, and machine learning models, um, and what does that look like? And um, we actually have a uh, through through Data Futurology, we have an episode coming in uh, coming up on Tuesday that, to talk about machine learning uh, or operationalizing machine learning models and putting them into production. Uh, so I just put the link on the chat for anyone who wants to join. Uh, that conversation and um, and in on, on that episode on Tuesday we're going to talk about the different levels of um, of the path or the ladder the maturity ladder that you can take to to take models to production and starting with step one doing models in batch um, or predicting in batch and writing back to a table and then having systems sort of take that table and then how do you go from there to a real-time API which in this in this sort of maturity model we have as, as level five. Um, so for anyone that's interested, come along, come along and hear all the all the different levels. Simon, 
what can I tell you? This has been amazing, right? Uh, super impressive. Uh, the the breadth of the work on the applications, the impact on the on the citizens, uh, the the uh, the exciting work that you guys uh, are doing. It's extremely impressive. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show today, for sharing your journey, your perspectives, your insights. It's been a blast and fantastic. Thanks, Philippe, and thanks for everybody. Um, I hope you found this useful. 100%. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a fantastic weekend and see you next week. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.